0: Frio de Janeiro
1: with Abidimam
0: G'day mates, this is Abidimam and it's great to be back. Welcome to Frio de Janeiro. You'll remember me from Road to Rio, building up to the Olympics. Well that experience has had such an impression that this series is called Frio de Janeiro to pay homage to my two favourite cities, Fremantle in Western Australia and Rio in Brazil. In keeping with the name, you'll hear from a fascinating mix of guests, from a range of walks of life, people that have a story that needs to be told. What is so great about the audio medium is how much a voice can tell you and how you can connect with someone's story without even being in their physical presence. We are going to harness this So wherever you are absorbing these stories in the great wide world of ours, I hope it brings you enjoyment and value. And of course, a pretty healthy dose of laughs along the ride. First up, in keeping with the theme, we've got a guest from Rio named Jody King. He's an Englishman that moved there. And yeah, that all sounds pretty normal until I tell you that he moved to Brazil's largest favela called Jocinha. Now favelas are densely populated, sprawling communities brimming with life. Rocinha is home to about 70,000 people in a small space along a steep hill with incredible views. Approximately 6% of Brazil's population live across a 1,000 favelas around the nation. Jody tells us his journey to Hossinia and how he is working to make a difference there with his school and tours. It's an incredible and raw insight into life in a favela. I've read a quote somewhere, that you haven't lived until you've been to Brazil. And if you get the opportunity, I hope you are compelled through this conversation to potentially visit a community like this and see the life that it contains. I hope you enjoy this one. Jody, welcome to Frio de Janeiro. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. How are you going?
1: Very well, thank you. Uh, Thanks for having me.
0: So before we get into your story, I just want to start off with um, how we met, and we met at the Olympic Games um, in 2016 in Rio on Copacabana Beach, and we've uh, sort yep. of stayed in. Well, I've been able to follow your your story since, and I thought it would be absolutely brilliant to get you on. So I'm really excited and uh, can't wait to hear what you have to say about your life. And I think it's really interesting. Oh, sure, awesome. <laughs> Let's start from the very beginning. I mean, where did you grow up, and what was it like? I grew up
1: in the southwest of England, a, a small little. Coastal town called Bude. Um, very small little town. Um, it's very it's very nice there in the summer. There's beaches, but you, you know the summer never really lasts there very long. So I got I got fed up of life there pretty quickly. Always wanted to live somewhere a little bit warmer. Um, but yeah, that's where I grew up. Little corner of England.
0: And how much travel did you do early on in your life? Travel. Um, I only really started traveling when I was about
1: 25 and actually Australia was the first place I I went to. I traveled up and down the East coast of Australia for six weeks after, um, after a relationship went South in England. I wanted to kind of get as far away from, from the problems in England as possible. So I I went to Australia for six weeks and, and loved it and kind of got the travel bug. And then I went to Italy, um, a short time afterwards, um, and since then, you know, since I've come to Brazil in, in the last five years, you know, I've, I've managed to do quite a bit of traveling, actually. Uh, a, a little bit in South America, um, uh, India, um, so been, I went to Tokyo, and I traveled quite a lot around Europe last year as well, actually, uh, whilst I was doing the fundraising uh, event in Europe. I, I got to see quite a lot of um, of Europe, which was nice, so... Yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd, I'd like to travel more, but, you know, it's, um, it's expensive. So, uh, but it's, uh, I, I've certainly got the bug and I'd like to do it uh, a lot more for sure.
0: Amen to that. And back in Australia, where what parts of the East Coast did you get to uh, take in?
1: Uh, I, yeah, that's right. Um, I was in Sydney, Brisbane, Cairns, Airlie Beach, Noosa, Byron Bay, Surfers Paradise, Newcastle. Um, where else uh, I took a road trip up to Cape Tribulation from Cairns uh, you know we went around the Daintree Rainforest and out up there um, yeah I loved it I, I really loved going up and down the east coast of Australia It was my, my first travel trip and Australia is always a good first one because there's no language barrier it's well set up for travel up and down there the hostels are a great um, standard um, I, I really enjoyed it I, I liked Australia a lot
0: and just like Brazil, it's a huge country. So for a person like me that lives in Perth, it's five hours from Melbourne, Sydney, um, sort of like, you know, Sao Paulo. That's to right, to yeah. Inza, It's like five hours as well. So vast distances.
1: That's right. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to get back and, and see some of the, the, the West Coast at some point. I mean, like I mentioned to you, my brother lives there. I'd love to get out there at some point and see a little bit more. Darwin's another place that that interests me. Um yeah, perhaps I'll, I'll get back over there at some point for sure.
0: And how many siblings do you have? Um, going back to growing up in in England, uh, what was your family life there?
1: So I've got one brother and one sister. They're both older, uh, so I'm the I'm the baby, um, and we're all living in the far flung corners of the of the planet. My brother's in Australia. My, I'm in Brazil, of course, and my sister lives in the north of Canada. Um, so, you know, my parents in England still, uh, their three kids are, uh, you know, the four of us. We're in four different continents.
0: <laughs> well, at least I've got a place to stay everywhere they go, pretty much.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, they've got some great holiday destinations, that's for sure.
0: And how you got to Brazil is a very fascinating story. I've been able to, in the research for this, you know, find out and listen to some of the podcasts or other interviews you've done, uh, not podcasts, but other interviews, and I understand you had a dream
1: that's right it, it, it did stem from a dream um at the time i was i was depressed in england actually i was heartbroken like i mentioned when i went to australia i i, I was uh, screwed over by uh, an ex-fiance i was with this girl for i think seven or eight years in england and, and we were engaged we were planning a wedding together we were trying to have a baby together um, but she cheated on me uh got pregnant with another guy and ran off with this other guy so I was really heartbroken, um, and I and I got I got depressed in England, and <coughs> stayed stayed depressed for like a good couple of years in England. And um, my life was really just going nowhere. Um, I was in like this hole, uh, and, and it was whilst I was very depressed that I had the dream actually. Um, and yeah, all I could remember um, from the dream was overlooking a beach. Uh, a beautiful beach, you know, white sand, uh, palm trees, blue, blue sea, very beautiful beach, looking down on it. Um, and, I, and and when I woke up, I'd, I'd had this good feeling uh, about the dream, like it, uh, and I hadn't felt it for a long time, like feeling good inside, you know, because I'd been depressed. It felt really good. But there was a word stuck in my head, uh, which was strange, because I've never had that, having woken up, uh, a word that, that I'd never heard of before. Um, the word was Ipanema. And it kept repeating in my head over and over for a good couple of hours. And I, and I what is Ipanema? What, what does this mean? And, and eventually I, I, I went onto the internet, put in Ipanema and Google and thought, what is this? Uh, and then saw, of course, what Ipanema was, this, this neighborhood of Rio, beautiful, with, with a beach, of course, as well. Um, and I thought, wow, is this place looks incredible. So I'd done a bit of research into... Ipanema and, and Rio and, and then I I thought to myself this is it this is I, I need to go here I can be happy again if I go here I'll be happy uh, and, and so I, I spent three months then after the dream researching Rio uh, and I knew that I was I was gonna like it in Rio I knew it was it was my kind of place uh, and yeah three months after the dream I took a one-way flight to, to Rio and, and haven't looked
0: back since and it's interesting that it's another seven letter word not Ipanema but Cosinha which is where you ended up <laughs> that's um,
1: right yeah
0: very yeah. close very close as we see in Brazil where um, the haves and the have-nots are located basically within touching distance of each other what was that's your right. what was your perception of Brazil heading there for the first time do you remember that
1: um I was just—I I just remember just being very excited. Uh, I knew that it was what I needed. I needed to get out of England to kind of make a fresh start, get away from the the source of the pain. Um, and I was—I just remember just being very excited. You know, I, I didn't know anyone in, in Rio. I didn't speak the language. I didn't have a job lined up. Nothing. And and the fact that I had to find all this new thing: learn a new language, make new friends, find a new job, find a place to stay. Uh, I just remember being very excited by it. Um, I, I, I didn't feel daunted by it at all. It was it was just excitement. Uh, I knew, I really knew that I was making the right decision. It seemed like a crazy decision, but it, I knew that it was the right one. Um, and, you know, as soon as I stepped off the plane, I, I remember that the... the the, the depression left me instantly as soon as I got in Rio I, I, I almost like didn't really care and think about what I'd just been through for the last two years. Um, and yeah I, I just suddenly became happy in in Rio um, and, and lived a, a, a much more positive life. so yeah, I just remember you know the the, the trip over just being very excited and, and just looking forward to this this new start in in Brazil
0: and how did you make your way in those first few days what were your connections there and who helped you out and then how did you end up making it to hosinia for the first time
1: okay so my plan was to come to rio and teach english because realistically i thought that was the only way that i could earn money in a city where i don't speak the language so i got qualified to teach english as a foreign language before i came over Um, and the plan was to stay in in some cheap hostels uh and, and look for teaching English work because I didn't actually come with that much money actually. So I had to knuckle down quickly. You now I didn't. I didn't have time to, to party or or anything like that. I wanted to try and find work quickly and and, and get settled. So I was staying in some uh, in the, the plan was to stay in cheap hostels um, until I got a job. And on my sixth day in Rio, I saw a hostel at the top of Vidigal Favela Uh, with the most amazing view over over Leblon and Ipanema Ipanema Beach, which is a a coincidence actually because maybe the dream was a premonition because I ended up living at this hostel and the view was actually looking down over Ipanema Beach, uh, a little bit similar to the dream. So that was my first taste of life in a favela because I went to this hostel um, and I ended up liking it so much in the hostel that I then booked to stay long-term there and the owner of the hostel actually offered me a job And I didn't have any work at that time, so I thought, sure, I'll I'll do it. I need something. So I ended up working in the hostel and and actually became manager of the place uh, and stayed there for a year. So that got me into the favelas, um, and it was just because I was offered a job there, really. I I really liked the place. I liked the favela. The view was absolutely stunning. Um, Got on very well with the owner, who, who is from Austria, uh, ended up DJing at, at, at some of the parties up there because they also function as a bar and nightclub. So that really helped me find my feet in Rio and in the favelas, in fact. Um, and I, I, I always had this connection with Rossini because Rossini is the other side of the mountain from Vigal. They're quite close to each other, and I used to come into Rossini a lot to volunteer at a DJ school in Rossini. Uh, and then when I was managing the hostel, I would take guests of the hostel from Vigigal into Rossinia for, for tours and shopping and food, because the shops and, and the restaurants are fantastic in Rossinia. So I, I used to come to Rossinia a lot, always had the connection, and then having spent a year in Vigigal for Vela, um a tour guide operator then offered me a job being a tour guide in Rossinia just before the World Cup started. Um, so that's that's why I came to Rossini then because I was then offered a job as being a tour guide and it sounded sounded great being a tour guide. Um, I was just starting to get a little bit bored of living in a hostel as well. I mean, it was a great location, it was a great place to find my feet, but I think you can only really live in a hostel for a, a certain amount of time before it, it gets a bit um, a bit too much, you know. So. It, the, the job offer of a tour guide came really at the right time, and I and then I came to Ross Senior to live and be a tour guide in, yeah, just before the World Cup started, May, June 2014. Um, and, yeah, been here ever since.
0: And to be a tour guide, you would need to know quite a bit about the community and you know, field all the That's questions right. that the tourists would have. Yeah. How did you gather your knowledge, and which sort of people were you connecting with um, in the communities to increase your knowledge bank
1: so i already know a few things of of general life in a favela because i've been living in vidigal of course but um when i started becoming a tour guide in rossinho i went on seven or eight tours with this the guard that the 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 boss of this this company the tour company i went on tours with him took a notepad and pen and was just basically writing down everything he was saying all the little statistics and bits of information uh, to the tourists, just making a note of it and, and, and then looking over the notes, memorizing it. Um, so that's how I got started. But, I mean, I, learning all the time still, of course. The, the longer I've been a tour guide, you know, talking to people in the community about how their life was in the past, um, you know, I, I'm always picking up new things the longer I live here, Um I remember my first year being a tour guide, I, I couldn't always answer every question. Maybe I could only answer 70%, 80% of the questions. Um, but now I can certainly answer 100% of the questions because, you know, I've, I've heard so much about life in the favela before I moved here, what it used to be like in, in the past, um, you know, so... It, it's a constant learning curve, really, because always, always hearing hearing things about how how the locals feel about living here and and, and uh, their life, their work. Uh, so, yeah, it's mm. it's it's a constant learning curve, really. But um, yeah, I, I certainly know a lot now. That's for sure.
0: <laughs> and you would have learned that through. Um the language barrier and I'm really interested in how people acquire languages I'm very passionate about languages myself learning learning Portuguese over the last few years and then now starting a bit of Russian but uh how did you go about (laughs) how did you go about uh learning Portuguese and and tackling that challenge
1: (laughs) yeah so um it was a challenge that really appealed to me because I I wanted to learn a new language. That was another one of the attractions to coming to Rio because I knew I would have to learn a new language. Uh, I wanted that challenge. So it's been difficult. It's it's not an easy language to learn. And, you know, I I didn't have any other second language to kind of go off because I know that the first second language anyone learns is always the hardest. And unfortunately, I didn't do a second language in school. I, I chose French, but I was actually kicked out of it. I didn't pay attention. Now I wish I'd chosen Spanish and paid attention. But, um, so it's been a challenge. When I started managing the hospital in Vidigal, I did take a four week language course to get the basics of Portuguese. The rest of it, I, have just picked up as I've gone along in, uh, on the street, just talking to people, um, uh, messaging. it messaging has been a good way of, 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 of writing and learning as well. Um, yeah, I, I was picking up, up pretty slowly in the beginning. I was fin- I was getting frustrated with myself at not being able to say everything that I, I wanted to be able to in Portuguese. Um, it was quite a slow process. But what's really helped me, actually, really in the last two years now, is having a Brazilian girlfriend that doesn't <laughs> speak English. <laughs> uh, we've been together two years, and and that's really accelerated my Portuguese in the last couple of years actually Uh, so I'm I'm almost fluent now I'd like to think Uh, it's certainly getting there yeah I can always say what I need to say and
0: and understand what's being said Um, but it was
1: it was definitely a challenge but certainly a challenge that I've enjoyed
0: well you know Um, love has no um, language so well the language of love is the universal language (laughs) itself so that's that's a great one Let's and have try. you been able to travel uh, around South America and utilize Spanish? Because it seems like Portuguese to Spanish is a really easy step.
1: Yes. So I spent three months in Colombia, actually, um, about two or three years ago. And um, I was finding that I was picking up Spanish very quickly in, in the in the three months in Colombia uh, because of the Portuguese that I know. I was picking it up very quickly. Um, so... I've decided that once I'm 100 percent fluent in Portuguese, I will definitely learn Spanish because uh, you know it's more. You know, Spanish is used much more globally than than Portuguese. It's a very useful language to to speak, you know, especially in South America. Um, so yeah, it's, it's certainly much easier for me now to learn Spanish uh, than than it was learning Portuguese. That's for sure.
0: Learn it much I much keep quicker. Getting... I keep getting fascinated by your travels, but I must ask where in Colombia did you go because I'm a big fan of that country too.
1: Okay, yes, yeah, beautiful, isn't it? I was, I'd done uh, a couple of work-away jobs there, actually. So I was working in a hostel in Medellin uh, for five weeks. So I stayed in Medellin for quite a long time for five weeks. And then I I spent some time in Santa Marta, um, Cartagena, Bogotá. Uh, I, I also got a work-away job in, a, in a quite a small place at the foothills of the... Sierra Nevada mountain range called um v- Valle du Par mm-hmm. um so yeah, yeah I, I I've heard a lot of, that. of I never I never went to Cali though and I never went to that place you know the river of the the different colored river mm. I can't remember what it's called there's a river in, in Colombia that, that has algae of different colors um Fascinating. so there's a couple of spots that I didn't actually make it to still but um you know I really got to see to, to know Medellin especially very well. Um, also spent quite a long time in Santa Marta, which was which was nice. But yeah, I absolutely love Colombia. You know. Very similar to Brazil in way that, you know, very friendly people, um, good food, good fruits, um, beautiful weather, hot, um, uh, amazing uh, rainforest and greenery and, and animals. So uh, yeah, I really liked it there a lot. It's a very nice country.
0: And jumping around back to the favela, you know, the common misconception is um, how dangerous it is and this notorious reputation. When someone asks you, I'm sure you get questioned about it quite a lot, but what is your go-to sort of statement to represent the favelas and your experience there?
1: Sure, yeah. Everyone always thinks that the favelas are are, are very, very dangerous, um, which is, not true because uh, and I always say this to people especially tourists that are coming on a tour of me straight away because some of them might feel a little bit uneasy like they're going to be coming into a dangerous place so I've always got to kind of reassure them and say look look, it's not it's not actually that dangerous you know if it was so dangerous for for a start I wouldn't live here I I choose to live here if it was so dangerous I would not live here Uh, and I do genuinely feel safer more safer in the favela than I do in Copacabana, Ipanema, you know, these touristy areas of Rio, because in the favela, crimes like robbery and assault do not happen in the favela. Um, The criminals live here, absolutely, the thieves live here, but they do not commit these crimes in the favela. There's a very strict code. Um, You know, if if they want to rob someone, they're specifically told, go to Copacabana, go to Ipanema, rob the tourists, rob the wealthy people down there, which makes sense because that's where the money is. But in the favela, you know, it's a, such a strong community where people look out for one another so much that they won't allow anything like this to happen. And and if someone's caught robbing someone in the favela, the gang will chop their hand off and they'll be kicked out of the, the community. So, you know, the, the punishment, if you break one of the rules, is is pretty severe. And if you do something bad enough, you'll be killed for it. So nobody dares break the rules here. So they, they go down to the, the wealthier areas to, to commit the, the petty crimes like robbery. Um, so it, it's safer than people think. Of course, there are gangs here and, and, and there is shootings that do occur here sometimes. Um, so this is the danger. Um, but saying that, the shootings always happen in certain areas of the favela. You know, Rossinia is so big is that is there's twenty-six subdivisions of Rossini, twenty-six areas. Five of these twenty-six areas are conflict areas, just five. You know, whenever there's shootings between gang and police, it's always in these five areas. So I always reassure the tourists, look, I'm not going to take you to these five areas, we don't go there. So if there's shooting, if you hear gunshots, don't worry, it's not going to be near us, it's going to be it's going to be over on the edges, up over there and show them where it is and and, and, it, and it's not near us. So you know, thankfully, where I've lived in Rossina as well, you know, my house has never been in an area where I've had a risk of a bullet coming in through my my my, my wall of my house, you know, a stray bullet. Unfortunately, no, I, I feel very sorry for the people that live in these areas of the favela where there is conflict, because that is dangerous then for them, of course. They're living in a dangerous area where the conflict is, and they have the risk of a stray bullet coming in into their house. Um, so there are areas that I would consider dangerous um, that I wouldn't want to live in. That's for sure. Where these conflict areas, these five areas, I are, uh, you know, but there's no way I would live there. But you know, the 60, 70 percent of the favela, there's not this risk, uh, and it's and it's and and it's actually pretty peaceful. You know, it's peaceful 99 percent of the time here. The shootings they occur maybe once or twice a week, but it's literally normally five or ten minutes and and then and then it finishes and it's really strange because you know something as serious as, as people trying to shoot each other it's it's strange how life continues like normal even when it's going on because the people in in the area that it, that, that it's not happening mm-hmm. and although you can hear it they continue like normal because they know they're not mm-hmm. at risk it's just a kind of background noise which is seems very strange to someone like me or you from England and Australia where, you know, you, you kind of just get used to hearing gunshots and if it's not in your area, you just continue like normal and everything everything stays normal, you know, it, which, is, which is quite strange, I guess. Um,
0: it's interesting that things. you said people carry on because, I mean, uh, there's been people that have um, surely, that you know, have been caught in crossfire. I mean, has there been any instances of people that are close to you that have been... Um, They've been harmed um, or injured or killed. Yes,
1: uh, I, I've had two of my friends uh, being shot. One one was, uh, took a stray bullet in the shoulder, uh, quite a young guy who was working on the vans, the public vans that do a circular around around the mountain, you know, from Rossinia to, to Leblon to, to Vidigal. He worked on these, he was always very friendly with me, uh, always spoke to him a lot on the vans, and he took a stray bullet in the shoulder once and, and was, was in hospital then another guy who I was good friends with, and actually he's he's my neighbor here in where I live at the top of Rossini, he's a motor taxi driver. And he didn't stop at a police check. Who were, the police were checking the, the motor taxi's um, uh, licenses, I think. They were checking their documents. And he didn't stop for whatever reason, whether he was listening to music, didn't see them or or, or whatever, but he didn't stop. And the police opened fire on him, shot him. And then run him over in a police car, and he was very badly injured. Um, he's actually had one of his feet amputated, um, and he took a couple of bullets to the to the body. Thankfully, survived, and 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 you know he's recovering. But you know that was quite shocking uh, because I was quite close to to him, you know. So um, yeah, it, it, unfortunately, it's 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 a it can be a common. Uh, occurrence in the favelas, you know, the the police shoot first and ask questions later, you know, and and they don't really care about who their bullets are hitting, you know. They they have very little regard for the people that live in the favelas, which is very sad. So, um, the the police are um, are feared more than the gang are really. Um, mm-hmm. they're, they're not liked here at all. Uh, people tend to have more more trust in, in the gang than they do with the police. Um, because actually the gang are a better police than the police are because the gang have always been a police here. You know, the rules that I said before about, you know, that people not committing crimes in the favela, these these are rules put in by the gang because the the gang don't want crime happening in their place. They want peace. Uh, because if someone's coming here getting robbed, getting assaulted, People aren't going to come and buy the drugs from the gang. So the gang have got their business to protect. So they they do a better job than the police, actually. And because they're from the community, they genuinely care about the community and the good of the community, whereas the police are not from here. Uh, so they don't really care about, you know, the, the people or the place. So um, so actually, the, the the gang are more respected than the
0: police are. Mm. Um, and in terms of the you know the peaceful times, how does the community sort of organise themselves with the things that in you know in our countries like Australia and England that we take for granted, electricity, water, your bins mm. getting taken? How is that all organised in a community like Oceania?
1: Well, uh, things like these the services like water, electricity, sewerage. Um, they were put. They were put in by the community themselves. There was there was main electric wires on the on the main road going through the middle, and then people would steal from the main road. Run a I think we call it hooking in English, where you get your illegal feed, run it to your to your property down down these alleyways here, and it's the same with the water in the past. Um, and sewerage, these sewerage systems, they, they they built themselves, and actually the gang paid for a lot of some of this infrastructure, especially the sewage system. Uh, money that they made in the past from drug trafficking, they put into building a lot of the sewerage systems and the steps in the alleyways. so they've helped a little bit in the past um, and yeah, the, the community have done it themselves, which is what's so amazing about favelas uh, because uh, you know, it, the, the, they've done pretty, they've built a city within a city here, Rossini really is like a city, I mean it's got everything you can possibly think of here, there's over 6,000 businesses you know, internet well, everyone's got water and electricity. Um, so everyone's got sewerage system, you know. So, and, and they've done it themselves, which which I think is really incredible. Um, since the pacification in the favela, which came in November 2011 in Rocinha, the pacification is is um, where the government have sent in the military police, to patrol the patrol favelas. The idea was to get rid of the gangs and put military police in their place didn't work so well, the gangs are still here, but with that the government are, are more active in the favela. Uh, so things like water, electricity, sewerage, trash collection, these are now government responsibilities now. So the gang have taken more of a back seat and, and the government are now uh, responsible for the, the upkeep of, of the services in the favela. Um, uh, did that answer your question?
0: absolutely I, and
1: I, 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 I couldn't remember what the question was but <laughs>
0: uh, yeah well it's it's so much it is such a broad area when you're talking about government services and it that's is right, fascinating yeah. how Hosenia has right, done yeah. it so incredibly yeah. so many people that's living right in yeah close they've quarters. done it all
1: themselves which which is really amazing because um, you know a lot of people from favelas are ashamed to be from a favela which I think is really sad I think that people from favela should be proud to be from a favela because what they've achieved is, is absolutely incredible you know, you take away government help from some from a town where we're from, the town won't survive. They'll will, they'll will fall apart. But here, that you know, they've they've really com- uh, uh, built a self-sustaining community. You know, which I think is is really incredible. I think they should be people from favela should be proud, um, not ashamed.
0: Has that shifted at all? Have you seen any change in that? Like, I've heard of. Um you know there's a lot more hostels and more tourists coming into to really to see and understand it is it something that people are becoming more proud of or is that is it going backwards
1: um uh, to be honest I, I don't think there's much of a change really um of, of course during the world cup in the olympics there was a kind of a a spike of of hostels being built and more tourism coming here but since the Olympics has finished, that, that's dropped again now. You know, a lot of the hospitals have closed, and that's not happening so much. Um, I think the tours do help, for sure, because, you know, we're, we're, we're spreading um, the good. We're, we're showing the good side of the favela, which not a lot of people know. When people who have never been here before think of favela, they only really think negative things, violence, crime. So on the tours, they're learning all these positive things about life in a favela, you know, how hard-working the people are, how amazing the, the, the food is here, how many businesses are here, the the, the infrastructure, the internet. Um, uh, they, they learn all these things that they don't know. So um, the, the tours help um, create a, a more positive uh, outlook on the favelas for the outside world, which which definitely helps. But I know that people are still ashamed to be from a favela, uh, but I think, you know, this is down to um, mm-hmm. Brazilian government uh, and, and wealthy Brazilians, you know, who will always think very negatively of favelas and, and turn a blind eye to what's happening there. Or, you know, the, the wealthy Brazilians don't help, and the, and the media doesn't help here, and, and the government um, certainly doesn't help. Um Unfortunately, so it's. So I always think that the work that I'm doing and the other tour guides here, you know, we're really up against it trying to spread the good word of the favela because there's so much negative being put out on the TVs every single day about the favelas by the by the media uh, and stuff. So it's it's hard, but you know, the people that come on the tours, they they really do see the favela for what it is for the day, you know, they and they always really really enjoy it. They always love the the place and. A lot of them come back, um, uh, or, or or even stay after the tour, um, because it is a very lovable place and a very misunderstood place, which is why the the tours are so important. Actually, you know.
0: I do love the Instagram photos you put on with um, each of the tour <laughs> the tourists that come out on your tour, and you have seen right. in the background. You're standing on the bridge, and I was I sort of had to rub my eyes um, a few months ago when I saw that. Some of the famous footballers from the AFL, um, Stephen Cornelio and John Padden, were That's on right. one of your tours.
1: That's right, yeah. Yeah, you know, I I didn't realise that they were famous or semi-famous at the time. They told me that they played football, uh, but I didn't really think too much of it, you know. And um, it was only after the tour that they followed Favela Phoenix on Instagram. So I followed them back and, 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 and looked on their profile and... Realised that these guys had thousands and thousands of followers, and I realised then that they were actually pretty big footballers, <laughs>
0: um,
1: which was uh, which was great, um, great for the for Favela Phoenix for the tour company because of course you know they were posting uh, photos on the tour on on their on their social media, which of course thousands and thousands of people would have seen. So I remember I did have a couple of tourists come to me afterwards saying, "Hey, you know, we saw." these guys come on a tour, they loved it, so so we're coming on the tour. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that they came because they, they certainly they certainly helped my, my project a little bit and, and, and got me a few more tourists.
0: <laughs> and I'm really interested in uh, where you stay in particular. Have you always lived in the same um, dwelling in, in Hosinia, or have you moved around? Or what, what's it like being, you said you're at the top. What's yeah, like? so I,
1: I've, I've moved around, um, I think I've lived in four different places, um, but I've always been at the top, in fact. Um, it's the same in Vidjgal favela, I was always at the top of there, I always seemed to be at the top of the favelas. But, um, so when I first came to Rossini, I stayed with a friend who ran a guest house, and I stayed in his guest house for a, a couple of weeks until I found a, an apartment which was a house share, Um, and I went into the house share again. That was always going to be temporary until I found my own place, but I wanted to take my time on finding my own place until I found the right place for me that I knew that I'd be happy to stay in for a very long time. Um, So I ended up staying in the house share um, for about two or three months, and and then I found a a beautiful two-bedroom place uh, at the top again um, that I then lived in for two and a half years, um, great place, uh, nice big terrace with a nice, uh, fantastic view over the over the favela. Um, and I only moved from there actually to where I am now because my school had to change locations because the location my school was in was being turned into a medical center. So I had to find a new place for my school. So I was then offered a building by a, a German guy who owns this, this beautiful big building at the, at the highest part of Rossini you can go to called Laborio. Beautiful building. And he said, look, I'm not living there. If you want your project there, you can have your project there and, and you can rent my apartment. You know, the apartment's empty. Rent the apartment and you can have your school underneath. So I thought, you know, it's fantastic because I'm living in the same building as my school now, which makes it so much easier to manage. So that's why I'm where I am now. Uh, so I've and, um, been here now for about seven months. Um, and
0: how does, how does one purchase property in uh,
1: it It's actually pretty easy to purchase property. Uh, it's the same as anywhere now because um, since the pacification in the favela, what well, the best thing about the pacification is that the people legally own their homes here now. So everyone has the deeds to their properties. So it's just like anywhere else in the world. You know, you go through all the right paperwork to, to buy a place. Uh, And there's always a lot of places uh, for sale and and to rent here. Um, People coming and going, there's there's always a lot of movement, just like any other neighborhood. You know, some people change favelas a lot. You know, you won't get many people leaving a favela and going to a a nice neighborhood. But they certainly move favelas depending on their work, um, their their jobs or something. So uh, houses become available quite a lot here, actually, uh, to rent and buy. Um, and you go through the same process as you would anywhere else.
0: And you said that you lived on the top. Um, I'm just interested in accessibility because of some of my own experiences going to a couple of different uh, favelas within uh, Rio de Janeiro, and um, a couple of times when I've taken a taxi to the bottom, the taxi driver would not want to go to the top because of the uh, the amount of steepness it was, and and um, some of them just not willing to um, to on their cars on the cobblestone, so you right. have to take the motor taxi. So, how accessible is your place going up to the top?
1: Um, it, it's quite accessible, actually. You can drive a car here, which is rare. It's very rare to be able to drive a car to your place because most of it is, is alleyways, um, and you can only get so near with a motor with a motorbike taxi. But my place is pretty accessible. Actually, you can get here by car. I don't use a car, of course. It's um, there's not much parking, and a car's too expensive for me. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I use the motor taxis everywhere, and they're fantastic. You know, they're they're good drivers. They they get you for up and up and down pretty quickly. Um, yeah, the, the the motor taxi will bring me like right outside my my front door. Uh, so I always tend to walk down the favela. When I need to get down, but I'll always take a motorbike taxi back up. There's no way I'm walking all the way up the Favela. It's a, it, it's, it's a very difficult walk.
0: Definitely a good way to uh, to get the strong legs. But I wanted oh, to talk sure. about your, I want to talk about your school and Favela yeah. Phoenix. Um, yeah. How much does it mean to you, and how did you conceive that idea and project?
1: Well, I got the idea for the school when I went back to England for Christmas, uh, Christmas 2014 it was, um, and then, uh, 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 yeah, that's right, until January 2015 I was I was in my hometown, and it was one of my best friends actually in my hometown that said to me, that gave me the idea, he said, look, why don't you start a project in the favela, because if you do, I will sponsor you each month, I'll give you a little bit of money each month to run a project. And he made me realize that it would be quite easy to find some sponsorships if I had a project there. Um, and I thought it was a great idea. So I came back to, to Rio in, in January 2015, planned the school, uh, and it took nine months to, to open. Um, and initially, I remember I wanted to do a trade school because I used to work in construction in England. Um, so it was something that I, I knew a bit about. Um, but I realized that it was would be too much hard work and too, too much money, too expensive to start a trade school and very difficult to find teachers to teach it. You know, Brazilians to, to teach different trades. So the next obvious thing was an English school. You know, it, it's very easy to set up. It's very easy to find teachers, travelers that want to volunteer and teach. Uh, and it's important. You know, it's it's something that is very needed in Rio. So it took nine months to find a location. Um Find equipment, materials, find a teacher, find some students, uh, and get it running. So it opened in September 2015, just with 16 students to begin with, one class a day. Uh, And it's slowly been growing over the last two and a half, two and a half years now? Two and a half years. Um, And now we have over 100 students in three classes a day, uh, children and adults. Um, It's very popular in the community. Um, You know, each new term we have, one term lasts four months, and every time a new term begins, it's always very full, the classes, especially, you know, especially the beginner classes in particular, very, very full, because people want to learn it, you know. Um, The people here have a good drive and determination. They don't get a lot of opportunities um, of of education. You know, the, the public school system here is not good, so they're not learning languages in the public school. Uh, they don't learn geography. They don't learn history in the public schools. They're missing a lot of key subjects. So, anything, any extra education that you can provide these people, they will, they will snap it with with both hands. You know, they will take it because they they know they need this the, the, the opportunities to succeed. And the people here want to want to better like their lives. You know, they want to to work and 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 get better jobs and 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 become successful. So. Yeah, my, my school is, is very popular, you know, they, they want to learn English.
0: Are there any particular success stories that you've seen over the, the last few years that really stick out to you?
1: Um, there's been a couple. There was a, one girl uh, who, I mean, there's been a, a lot of people actually that got jobs because they've learned English in, in, in my school. Um, there was one girl that got a promotion. She already had a job, but she wanted this promotion. But to get the promotion, she had to speak English. Uh, she came to Favela Phoenix, learned English, and got the promotion, and, and, and is now earning twice as much money. Um, <laughs> so, awesome. yeah, this, there, 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 there's, um, I, and I know of a lot of people that have, uh, that have gotten jobs because they've learned English as well. Um, you know, it really is working for people. Um, yeah, which is, which is fantastic to see. You know, really, really pleasing for me to see this.
0: And how are you sort of getting Feather Phoenix to take the next step now? I hear that there's some really fancy sort of uh, fundraising. I just heard somewhere that it was Amazon kayaking. Is that true? And um, Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I,
1: well, that's not happening anymore, actually. I planned on kayaking on the Amazon um I think I was planning on doing it next year. Uh, no, I, I was planning on doing it this year. Um, but actually, I, I, I realized that I couldn't afford it because we would have had to have paid for a guide and that this trip would have been very, very expensive and I personally wouldn't have been able to afford it. Uh, but it's certainly something that I plan on doing in the future. You know, I plan on doing some, some fundraising events. But, you know, anything like that um, is quite costly. Uh, and, you know, I don't earn a lot of money, so I've got to do something within my budget uh, what I'll probably do this year is, is a Spartan race something that's happening in Rio it's 100 griais to enter it's a crazy race with a lot of obstacles and, and I quite like this kind of thing so uh, I've done this before for, to raise money and I'll probably do this again this year last year I cycled um, the river Danube through Europe um, from Passau in Germany through Austria through Slovakia and ended in hung- uh, in Hungary in Budapest uh, with a few friends I'd done that with, and that was fantastic. Uh, that raised a lot of money for the project. Um, you know, as, as there's a team of us, we're all reaching out to, to, to our contacts, different people, and, and collectively it raised a, a really fantastic sum of money for the school. Um, but, I, of course, I can't do a big trip like this all the time. I've, I can only work within my budget. Um, but the, the kayaking on the Amazon is certainly something that, um, that I will do in the future. Um, for, for sure, uh, the, these fundraising events. You know, it's it's fun for me because I get to travel, I get to uh, keep fit. I, I like keeping fit. You know, cycling, kayaking. It's it's something that I enjoy doing, and it's hugely beneficial to my project. So it's really they're, they're big win-win situations, um, and I want to try and do one every year, for sure.
0: And your team at Favela Phoenix, where do they hail from? Where do they? Where do they come from around the world to um to help the people living in Rosinha? Um
1: So we've we've got two long term teachers um right now. They're both girls. From one's from Switzerland and one's from Sweden. They've both been English teachers um, for a long time. They've got a lot of experience, um, and they're living here as well. They're both living in Rosinha. Um They love it here, and uh, yeah, we 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 had another teacher from Switzerland in the past. In fact. Um, and we've used a lot of volunteers as well in the past, you know, from really all over the world, um, from, from Europe, from from Asia. We've had volunteers from Australia, North America. Um, yeah, they're really from everywhere. But our, 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 um, our team right now is, is um, the, these two girls from Switzerland and Sweden are, are teaching the, the classes now um my dad helps a lot as well actually from england because it's it's a uk-based charity so our bank account is based in england so my dad is the treasurer so he's in charge of the finances which is fantastic for me because i I would really hate to to try and keep on top of that so he's he does that from england which really helps me a lot so he's a big part of the team and, and and works from from england how yeah. can
0: people help you is it um, can they send things or is it uh, purely financial assistance what is going to help for vela phoenix stay sustainable at this point in time
1: um yeah people could help in 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 different ways really i mean of, of course coming coming on tours helps because 40 percent of the money from the tours goes straight into the school um some people that come on tours do bring some supplies uh you know some some pens or or workbooks or something so um uh, and also, yeah, financially, uh, you know, we do have um, links on the website where people can make one-off payments or where people can set up uh, monthly payments, um, sponsoring the fundraising events that, that come around once a year. Um, so there's there, there's a few ways that, that people people help.
0: These young people that you're helping teach and transform their lives, what have they actually taught you and your team, and in your life? How have they inspired you to continue? Um. Yeah, I, I just seeing how
1: popular it is as, as inspires me because I know it's the right thing, you know, because there's a, there's a big demand for it. So, uh, and you know, like I mentioned, these people have a lot of drive and, and determination to learn, which which inspires me to continue the project because I know it's it's the right thing. It's what the, the community needs. Um, so it, it's very easy for me to have the inspiration here because it's, it's all around, you know, the people are very friendly. They're very thankful of what I'm doing. The, 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 the project is popular. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly, um, in, inspired to, to continue the project.
0: And on the world cup and the Olympics, which were multi-billion dollar events put on and, um, at a time where it was politically very sensitive in Brazil. And how yeah. has that, that legacy played out? And how has that inspired the next generation of, of leaders in the country and young people mm-hmm. coming through?
1: Yeah, I, I I mean, actually, another attraction to me coming in Rio, coming to Rio in 2013 was the World Cup and the Olympics coming here because I knew it would be an exciting time to live here. And I, I love these events, especially the World Cup. Uh, and I loved here being being here for it. I absolutely loved it. But you know, the I, I don't think they should have been held here because it hasn't done the city any good. I mean, especially the Olympics. The the state of Rio went bankrupt after the the Olympics, um, which led to a lot of problems here in Rio, um, especially security problems, which led to a lot of violence. You know, uh, high, high levels of crime. Uh, and violence, especially uh, in the favela since the since the Olympics has finished. So, I, I don't think these events um, have left the positive um, have left anything positive behind in Rio. Um, you know, I, I don't think these events should be held in in countries where they don't already have the infrastructure in place. You know, because when they're having to spend billions suddenly on these things you know it the, the it leads to so many problems um so i you know i seeing this afterwards i i, I don't think they should have happened here as much as i enjoyed actually being here during the events uh, it, the lasting effect is is nothing positive actually uh, you know especially for the people in the favelas because um you know they're the ones the people in the favelas are the ones that really need this this Money to be spent in the right places on on things like education, on health, basic sanitation, basic things that that places need. Uh, and you know, all these billions is being spent on these beautiful stadiums, um, which are now not being used at all. You know, and and, and the money should be put in in somewhere much better that could really do so much good for, for not just the favelas, but the the whole country, you know? Um, so yeah, it's been, you know, living in the favelas, I, and speaking to a lot of the people, I, I, have seen the frustration of, of what the, these events have, have brought, um, you know, which I, which I completely understand from, from the favelas point of view.
0: And that increase in violence really has reached a, it did reach a tipping point a few months ago you know with the military of of rio taking control of um security and and police that's right yeah how yeah, did so, um, how's that played out
1: yeah i mean that that's one of the last effects from the olympics you know because the the state went bankrupt they couldn't afford to pay the the police or the pacifying police so suddenly that the, the, a lot of police disappeared in rio which the, 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 the gangs um, took advantage of, you know, so the gangs suddenly become very um, visual and, you know, they were coming out from places that they weren't normally coming to before, you know, they were normally staying pretty hidden, but now they're not, the the, the gangs are much more aggressive and coming out. And yeah, it's, it's, it's just led to, to, to a lot more um, confrontations between police and gang and, um, yeah, the, the violence has really spiked. You know, here in Rossinia, we had a turf war in September because, you know, the police disappeared. So a rival gang took advantage of that and then took over Rossinia. Hundreds of them arrived one day uh, in the cars, heavily armed, uh, and, and this community became a war zone. Uh, for a few weeks, my school had to stay shut for six weeks. I couldn't do tours for six weeks. The place was just so dangerous. Um It really was a war zone. The army came in here twice. At one point, I walked down the main street of Rossinia and counted 12 tanks in Rossinia. And it was really crazy, you know. um, And and since then, the violence has um, stayed. Uh, it's, It's stayed like, you know, it's very continuous. It's happening all the time, unfortunately, you know, much more than it was before September. When 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 this rival gang took over, um, which is sad to see, you know, because it's nobody nobody likes this happening. Although you know people are used to it, you know nobody likes this happening. You know more people are being killed in this. You know these these young guys, normally the gang members, but these are young guys. You know they're aged sixteen to twenty two. Um, although they're gang members, you know it's it's terrible that they're they're being killed at a young age. A lot a lot of these guys don't want to be gang members. They're doing it because they're they're poorly educated. They can't find any other work because of lack of opportunities here. So they join a gang as a last resort. Um, and yeah, it's, it's it's sad because the violence has spiked here, you know, especially in Rosenia, um, which which is frustrating for for, for everyone. And it's and it's sad to see. Um
0: yeah I'm sorry to um, well I'm I'm very mindful of your time um, firstly so we'll have a few more questions uh, Jody and um, okay. I know that's uh it's uh not a nice point to you know sort of finish on but I wonder how your <laughs> family how how do your family f- feel about uh you being so far away and be, you being where you are have have they come visited yeah. a few times and how's that connection yeah. still going
1: um, yeah, they, they have. My parents have been here twice and they're actually coming again in July. And my sister is coming from Canada in July and that will be her first time here. They, they're happy that I'm here in Rio because they know, you know, what I went through in England with, with my ex-fiancé especially, they knew that I was very depressed at the time and that I needed something, I needed to change my life and I, and I needed to find happiness, which I really have found in Rio. Um, you know, I'm very, very happy. So they're happy that I'm happy. Um, I think since September and since the violence has spiked in the favela, I think they they do worry more about me living in the favela since September. Um, Because, you know, I I do post news articles and I do post the occasional video of, you know, the sound of gunshots from my window, which (laughs) which gets my family a little bit worried. Um, But they know that I'm happy. They know that you know, I'm not in any immediate danger. They know that the, the guns don't get pointed at me. You know, so I, you know, I, I I don't feel in danger here, and I think my my family trust that I'm safe. I, you know, because I I feel safe here. Yeah. You know, I, I I'm pretty sure that I'm not going to go to any of these areas, and I'm not going to get a stray bullet or anything like that. So uh, I, I've reassured my family that, and I think they they trust that. Um, so they're, they're happy that I'm here. They have, they know that I'm helping the community a lot. They're very supportive of what I'm doing. Uh, you know, my parents and my sister, they're they're, they're giving uh, money monthly to my project. They're very very supportive. Um, uh, and yeah, they're, they're they're happy with what I'm doing. That they they're happy that I'm happy. Um, yeah.
0: <laughs> and lastly, what's it like going back to? back home to england or if you call it home <laughs> but what's it like what was it like going back the first time and seeing your friends and having that direct contrast to where you that's lived? right
1: yeah it's, it's it's actually very strange going back it's like it's it's reverse culture shock i believe it's called because i do get a culture shock going back to england now because i'm i'm so used to life in brazil now and the lifestyle of brazil um, but actually I, I love going back, especially the last time I went back cause I went back with my girlfriend and it was her first trip outside of Brazil and it was fantastic being with her because of course, you know, like everything's amazing to her, you know, the, the, the food, the architecture, the way people behave, all these little things, um, so, but I love going back because I, I, I forget how good the food is in England. Uh, the quality of food is fantastic there. It's great seeing friends and family again, of course. Um, uh, and, you know, even the, the little town that I'm from, when, when, when we lived there, when I lived there, it was always like the same thing every day. Nothing ever changed, and it was kind of boring life there in a small little town. Now when I go back once every two or three years, it always seems to have changed a lot. Um you know, I notice a lot of changes, and it's and it's always great going back, and um, I, I do enjoy it. It's 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 it, I, I'm like a tourist in my own hometown again. You know, I do the touristy things, and uh, and I, I enjoy going back for sure. It's, it's great. It's a reverse. A... It's a reverse culture shock. <laughs> I I I prefer the culture of Brazil. I'm very happy. I love the lifestyle. But you know, I, I always like going back and seeing friends and family and tasting those english foods again and <laughs> you know it's it's nice
0: <laughs> and jody this has been nice um it's been it's been really really interesting to talk to you and um how can people find you on the interwebs uh, what are some what are the links on the social medias that people should go and um, check out to find you uh, uh,
1: the social media you can find my project at favela phoenix or one word um our website is www.favela uh, where you can find more information about the tours and the project. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, right. yeah, look us up.
0: <laughs> Mate, absolute pleasure and I hope we get to cross paths again.
1: Pleasure talking to you. Thanks for, thanks for inviting me. It's been a pleasure talking to you.
0: Hey, everyone. Wherever you are in the world, thanks heaps for listening to Frio de Janeiro. You can visit the show website, abidimam.com, A-B-I-D-I-M-A-M, For all of the show goodies, you can subscribe, leave a review. I appreciate it very much. And until the next episode, keep smiling, keep scoring.